Uh, we're looking uh, at the Beatitudes uh, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew's Gospel. And uh, uh, the one that we're looking at today uh, is Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And before we go into that, uh, I just want to read you uh, an email I received this week. It's relevant to this, but also it's more than that. I just want as a, a church that you would uh, know about this. It's a testimony, and I'm going to change the names because I haven't got the permission to read this out. Um, but So it goes like this. Hi, Mike. I would love to encourage you and your team about your online provision to someone in the last months of their life. John, I'll call him, grew in faith so deeply through watching the live stream in the months before he passed away and wanted to come to church in Watford on Easter Sunday to talk to you about the possibility of being baptised. He was going to celebrate his first Easter as a Christian in a church that he really felt was his family. You do family so well, and it's clear as a leadership team you really model it. He particularly remembered the talk about why some people hear God more clearly than others. And his favourite song was his coming on the clouds. I think John was, a, was a, in his teens, I wanted to say. He loved your jokes with Andy Croft and uh, the, the love you showed, um, uh, was, he was so encouraged by. And the way when even things were tough, uh, you as a church always celebrated Jesus. John was so passionate about worship and the service that your worship team put in is incredible and encouraged him to worship from the bottom of his heart. Your team is so gifted in worship and it is Jesus who's making it possible. Praise him. A massive thank you from me for uh, helping uh, in the salvation of my best friend who because of church is now in heaven with his father who he knows deeply and confidently. He was brought home in the early hours of Easter Monday. So praise God, he did celebrate Easter Sunday. Please encourage your church with this message that you're doing a good thing and that people are being saved. And uh, I'll say the, the name of the person, we won't say the real name, uh, say Frank or whatever, but I just thought that, was, that really moved us to read that. And... I just want to say um, to those in our church, we have no idea, and we have no idea the effect of what we do. Uh, we will, we'll all only know in heaven, and you know what? It might, we might not even need to know then. Our eyes will be so fixed on Jesus. Um, but actually, we, we've no idea. Whatever we do in the little things, the little comment, the, 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 the kind word um, in the supermarket, just little things like that can make such a difference. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, it says in Matthew 5, verse 4. And uh, that's the story of comfort in uh, the place of mourning. As Andy said um, uh, last week, uh, Jesus called the disciples to himself at the beginning of his ministry, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is their marching orders. The Sermon on the Mount was really the heart of the manifesto of what, they, what, they were, what he was calling them to do. And it begins with these blessed attitudes that we call the Beatitudes. 
And it's an upside down kingdom. And there's not more upside down statements than this one. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed, the, the Greek word is makarios, which could be translated happy. Happy are those who mourn. What on earth does that mean? How could those who mourn be happy? And uh, the reason is because it is an upside down kingdom. In the world, we would say happy are those who win the lottery. Happy are those who get promotion. Happy are those um, who have a great car. Happy are those um, who will become celebrities. Happy are those who are successful in all sorts of ways. What Jesus says is happy are those who mourn. Why? It's not happy are those who mourn because they mourn. There's no intrinsic value in mourning. There's no intrinsic value in grief. It's happy are those who mourn, who are in grief, because they will be comforted. For that reason, they will be comforted. Why do we mourn? What are things we mourn about? We we mourn uh, about that which is precious that has been lost. Uh, We mourn about things that we longed for that never happened in our lives. Uh, We mourn over death and suffering. We mourn over pain in our own lives, but not just in our own lives, in the lives of those we love. And and as followers of Jesus also, uh, we, we, we mourn, we should mourn the pain in the world. It's called intercession. Uh, when we come to God with our mourning and our grief over India, over what's happening in Israel right now, what's been happening in Syria, in South Sudan, um, in Myanmar, in, in all these places in the world where there is death and destruction and suffering. And as followers of Jesus, we mourn over our own sin. We mourn over our own sin. Um, is it right for Christians to mourn? Uh, there, there's, there's a kind of school of thought that, that if you're living in the victory, if you're, if you're living in the promises, if you have enough faith, then you won't ever mourn uh, because you know that God is, is, is bigger than, that God uh, brings it all right, that, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And we believe that, that scripture, that scripture. But, but they say, therefore, it's lacking in faith to mourn. Uh, there's something, you're not living in the victory. If you <coughs> Actually, um, it's biblically, it's absolutely right to mourn. It's actually God says to mourn. Happy are those who mourn. That's what it says. Happy are those who mourn. And one third of the Psalms, one third of the songbook of Israel are psalms of lament, psalms of mourning, psalms of intercession, psalms that say the world is not as it should be. And David, the great king of Israel, was the king of intercession. He was the king of praise, but he was the king of mourning. You know, when his son died, (coughs) he was was weeping and mourning. and, And so many of his psalms are, where are you, God? My tears have been my companion all through the night. And he asks God questions. They're in the book for a reason because it's part of the human experience and God is big enough to take it. And more than that, it's in that place, it's in that place 
that he so often most intimately meets us. And Jesus, who is our example, uh, uh, is our example in mourning. It says in Isaiah 53, in the prophecy of Jesus, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Lazarus. He sweated blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew mourning and grief. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he is our saviour. He is our God. He is our king. And he is also our role model. Let's never forget that. Uh, In our last month's book of the month, uh, uh, Gentle and Lowly by uh, Dan Ortland. Sorry, he says this. I love this quote. God is not just a doctor that will treat you, but also a God that comes to take our diseases on himself. And that is what Jesus did. We can be rich in spirit because he became poor. Why can we be comforted? Because he himself wept and mourned. Why can we be filled? Because on the cross, he said, I thirst. Why have we got mercy? Because Jesus got none. And I can see God because Jesus on the cross said, where are you? You see, everything we receive comes because of Jesus. Everything we receive. And he comforts us in our mourning for the simple reason that he went through everything that we go through. When we're in sorrow, when we're in grief, when we're in agony, first of all, he joins us in that. He shares our grief. He becomes God eternal, becomes a man of sorrows, acquainted, acquainted, knowing grief, our sorrows, our grief. He shares them. He comes to us in them. And secondly, and secondly, he comforts us. He comforts us in our mourning. How does he do that? Why does he do that? He does that because it's usually only when we're in mourning, only when we're grieving, that we, that we are open to be comforted. Those who have never had any cause for mourning, those who have sailed through life and everything has been great, not always, there are exceptions to nearly every rule, but nearly always, most of the time, they, they're not able, one, to show empathy, but also, number two, then they're never open to being comforted because there's no reason for them to receive comfort. When everything has gone right in your life, it's easy to live a life of independence. It's easy to live a life where you believe, hey, I, I, I'm doing all right. I have no need of God. Everything's good. Everything's fine. But when life goes wrong, when people you love suffer, when you lose people or situations or relationships that you love, you come to a place of mourning and in that place, that's the place you're open to being comforted. It's like a little child that, that, that gets hurt, that, that, that falls over, that damages themselves. What, what do they do instinctively? 
to mummy or daddy. They come for comfort. They don't come when everything's okay. They come when they're there. And there's no more intimate place than knowing the God of all comfort in the place of our pain. There's nothing more wonderful. That's how, that's how he, 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 we can be happy in the place of mourning for we are comforted and it's not just that he, he strokes us. No, it's that we know him in a deeper level. We know him in a deeper level. Listen to a couple of quotes from scripture. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. This is Psalm 30 verses four and five. Praise his holy name for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay in the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay in the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And if you've known morning, it's messy, isn't it? It's all over the place and it feels like it never ends. You know, when when you mourn a loss, it just goes on and on and it's so painful and you think, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to get better? Am I ever going to feel all right? And it can feel like a long time, but in God's, in God's provision, and we need to hold this, uh, weeping may stay more for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Rejoicing will come. There will be a morning. What, whenever that is, there will be. It's the promise. And then it, later on in that Psalm 30, verse 11, he says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. And then this, which I love. Uh, Jesus quoted it at the beginning of his ministry from Isaiah 61, verses one to three. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Listen, this is part of his manifesto, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. He comforts those who mourn and he provides for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A garment of praise. You know, if you're living in despair, if you're in a time of despair, it can feel like the darkest pit that will never end. The promise is he wants to give you a garment of praise in its place. He's faithful and he will do it. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted and to comfort those who mourn. Why does he comfort those who mourn? As I said, it's because they're open to being comforted. To mourn is to know you have a need and he comes to those in need, it, to those who are broken. It's a biblical principle. He comes to those who are broken. I found this quote and like an idiot I am, I didn't, I forgot to write who it it was from. So 
If no one knows who it's from, I'm going to pretend in future it's an original Pilavachi. But I love this. Listen to this. When Gideon broke the pictures, the pictures, not pictures, um, the, the jars, the hidden light began to shine. When the poor widow broke the seal on the oil, God multiplied it and met her needs. When Esther broke etiquette and protocol, risking her life, God saved the nation. When Jesus broke the five loaves, he fed the multitudes. When Mary broke her alabaster jar, uh, the fragrance filled the room. When Jesus was broken by a crown of thorns, nails and a spear, the blood was poured out that cleanses from all sin. God blesses the broken. He doesn't cause the brokenness. I don't believe that, but he blesses the broken. He comes, he runs to us. There's an Arab saying that says, all sunshine makes a desert where no fruit can grow. That's the other thing that happens. You know what? If it if it's all sunshine and no rain, I know we struggle with desert images in Britain, certainly in the last few weeks where it hasn't stopped raining. Uh, but, but you know what? If you go to a desert, all sunshine makes a desert that is barren, that is arid, that is dry, and no fruit can grow. Fruitfulness comes from the place of knowing him in intimacy in the place of our brokenness. And there are so many examples in scripture. I'm running out of time. There isn't time to say them all. There's the fruitfulness. You know, we mentioned it the other week. Joseph, after 13 years in prison, when he was released and his second son Ephraim was born, he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. God somehow makes us fruitful in the very land of our suffering. And then he comforts us in our sorrow and pain so that we can comfort others. The last scripture, praise be, this is from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. What I love, what a lovely description. He's, his titles are the Father of Compassion. The Father of Compassion. His other title is the God of all comfort. He is. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He comforts us so we can comfort you know, the people that, 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 that know the comfort of God are the best to comfort others because they have compassion. They've been there. They've been there. If you've never been there, it's really hard to empathize. It's really hard to understand. It's really hard to feel what they're feeling. But when you've been there, you share. And Jesus has been there. And, when, and we are equipped to love and to comfort others. Uh, when we have been there. And I, I know in my life, the reason this means so much to me is I, I've known the comfort of my God in my darkest moments, in my darkest moments. Um, my early years were not happy. 
Um, I was felt so isolated, lonely, alone, broken, desperate, um, seeing the future with only dread. And then, and then when I was 16, uh, two months before my 16th birthday, I met Jesus. I became a Christian. I met my father and he began to comfort me in my pain. And I knew an intimacy with him that I would have never known any other way. And then there was a time in my life when uh, I realised that um, I I was never going to get married or have children. And, uh, you know, I love all of that stuff. And and there was was a, a a, a period of brokenness, a period of sorrow, a period of mourning, that which was not going to happen. I'm never going to have kids now. I'm, and I remember thinking, if I died, there's nobody whose life would be utterly devastated because I wasn't there anymore. And for some reason, that really mattered to me. That really mattered to me, that there should be someone whose life would be devastated because I wasn't there anymore. Well, do you know what? In that time, as I turned to him, as I turned to him, He comforted me with his father love. He said, you're never alone because I'm always with you. you, you, You never need to feel yourself isolated again because I am here. And there have been moments in my life, the most beautiful moments, coincidentally, have been the most painful moments. I don't understand it, but that is the fact That is the truth. The most beautiful moments of intimacy with him have been the most painful moments in my life. And then he said to me, you you won't have children, Mike, but you'll have spiritual children and they will be your comfort. And do you know what? I've been able to enjoy. I've been able to enjoy uh, investing in others in a way that I wouldn't (coughs) otherwise and seeing them grow and delighting in that. And, and making that my delight and being fulfilled in that place. God comforts us directly, but he also comforts us by bringing us others, brothers and sisters who will comfort us in our sorrow. And we need to be open to that. And we need some of us to let go of our pride and receive that. We need to receive that. Finally, finally. John Wimber once said, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. And it's, as with many exaggerations, there's a lot of truth in it. You know, th- those who never walk with a limp uh, usually uh, sometimes can be dangerous people. Pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, and never experiencing the bitter taste of failure are dangerous things in a Christian leader. And they're dangerous things in a Christian person. There's something about knowing the place of weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Knowing God in the place of weakness, it heals you. People who weep well usually love well. People who weep well usually love well. It's the upside down kingdom. It's the inside out kingdom. So, blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. 
Amen.